Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We said that already, you might say. In fact, if you are someone who is easily annoyed by repetition, today might not be the day for you. If you stick around for our song service later, after brunch, right after this service, I estimate that you will have said, He is risen indeed, somewhere around 20 times. If repetition annoys you, maybe today isn't your day. Because Easter happens every year, doesn't it? The church year follows the same cycle of events in Jesus' life. You've probably noticed that if you've been coming to church for a while. Starting in Advent with with the promises of Jesus' birth, Christmas, Jesus' birth, and Jesus' earthly ministry, then his temptation, his suffering, his death, and then boom, before you know it, it's going to be Easter again. He's risen, he's risen indeed, all over again. But you know that some repetition repetition is important, is good, is very worth your while. Spouses don't get sick of hearing each other say, I love you. You probably don't get sick of hearing your dad say that he's proud of you. You probably don't get sick of hearing your coach say that you're a good player, of hearing your teacher say that you did good work, no matter how many times you've heard it. Some repetition you need, right? Because some of us really struggle finding value, finding worth with our self-esteem. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with guilt. And so we have no problem reminding you that Christ is risen and talking to you again about what that means. In fact, Paul has no trouble, no problem reminding us of this very basic, central truth to our faith. He says to the Corinthians, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, by which you, re- which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you f- hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Did you notice that Paul has not preached the gospel yet? He's only preaching about the gospel. Because he wants to dispel this notion. He wants to do away with this thought. Ah, we know this stuff already. We've heard this stuff before. Can't we move on to something else, preacher Paul? Because as Paul was observing the behavior of the Corinthian congregation, even though they would have said, we know this stuff already, they were acting like they didn't know it as well as they thought they did. In fact, some of them, were even tempted to just do away with the resurrection altogether. Is that really important? How important really is it that we teach that a dead guy rose from the dead? Every religion has its weirdness. To critics and skeptics of Christianity, this is ours. How unbelievable to some it is that someone could actually come back from the dead. It goes goes against our logic, doesn't it? Doesn't make sense. Because death is so final. That's why it's so sad. That's why you grieve. That's why you mourn. Because of everything that stops when someone dies. You're not going to be able to spend time with this person. You're not going to hear their voice or hear their laughter. You're not going to be with this person anymore. And to say that someone actually died, was 100% dead, and came back from the dead, and therefore we too are going to come back from the dead. That sounds pretty far-fetched, doesn't it? So is it possible 
to just take that part out. To look at Jesus and, and take more of the stuff that's easier for us to accept and to believe. Like, let's take Jesus' moral teaching about how we should live. That stuff is good. That's not far-fetched. Or take Jesus as an example of how to treat the oppressed and the downtrodden. That sounds pretty good. We should do that. Or even to look at Jesus' death as the example of human depravity, as a warning that we shouldn't get so bad that we start putting innocent people to death. But his resurrection, we have to take that as well. Now, every religion has its weirdness. A lot of different religions other than Christianity have a lot of angels appearing to people, telling them to write stuff down. And then centuries later, a different angel comes and tells the, that person's descendants to write new stuff down that completely contradicts the old stuff. You notice that? All, every religion has its weirdness. But you notice something about the religions that aren't Christianity. Their claims are completely unverifiable. One guy had some visions about, from one angel and wrote stuff down on a thing that isn't anywhere we can find. Don't worry about it. What does Paul say, though? Is the resurrection of Christ verifiable? Well, Paul certainly thinks so. Because the real, Jesus was a real historical person. That is indisputable. And according to Paul's perspective, the fact that he came back from the dead is real and historical and indisputable. Because what did Jesus do when he came back from the dead? He appeared to people, not just one person, but over 500 people, including Cephas, here called Cephas, that's Peter, the leader of the Christian church, James, the half-brother of Christ, and Paul himself. There are lots of eyewitnesses at the time of Paul's writing Corinthians, and he says, if you doubt at all that Jesus is back from the dead, Talk to any one of us. We've seen it ourselves. How else do you explain how 500 plus people are willing to stake their lives on the resurrection of Christ other than that it actually happened? And Paul is writing this beautiful letter, 1 Corinthians, full of dense, magical, poetic doctrine that all centers on the real historical fact of Christ's resurrection and not, not hardly 20 years after Jesus' death. How do you explain that apart from the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And if Jesus actually rose from the dead, and he did, that changes everything. Now death is not final. Now death is not the last word. Later on in this chapter, Paul will say, where, O death, is your sting? Where, grave, your victory? There is none now that Jesus has come back from the dead. Because Jesus was right when he said that he will be put to death and will come back, will rebuild the temple on the third day. We talked about that before. Jesus is also right about everything else that he said. Because I live, you also will live, he said. Believe in me and you will see paradise, Jesus said. That means that you, just like Jesus promised, are forgiven and you are immortal, that you will dwell in heavenly peace with your risen and ascended Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus actually came back from the dead and he did. That's everything. And so we are not afraid. We are not uh, sheepish about reminding you of this most important truth. Jesus crucified, buried, and risen. 
That's everything. And so Paul explains. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is it. Martin Luther and the Reformers talked about the doctrine of how we are saved, the doctrine of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Take this away, and we got nothing to talk about here. <laughs> but this is everything. Now, you might have seen folks coming to worship this morning bringing lots of delicious-looking food into the fellowship hall for brunch after this service. Hope you stick around. But what happens whenever there is a serving line? Your eyes automatically go to that thing that looks the best to you, right? My family and I went to a family wedding last year, and I got to give it to the bride and the, and the groom because they had a wonderful meal selection. Everything was great, the carrots, the buns, everything but at the end of the serving line was a carving station for prime rib. So I had a hard time not staring at that meat. And yeah, the carrots were fine, the buns were good and everything, but I was focused on getting to the end of the line. So is the gospel of Jesus crucified and resurrected prime rib? Well, it certainly is delicious, isn't it? It certainly is important. It certainly is the piece de resistance of this, this meal that we serve at worship every Sunday. Because this is where you get your hope in a hostile world. This is where you get your peace amid so much anxiety and grief. This is where you get your comfort when you feel guilty. This is where you hear that you are forgiven and loved all over again. This is the central truth, Paul says, of primary importance. But it's not like prime rib. There might be a temptation, Paul is saying, for us to look at the gospel of Christ crucified and risen and say, that's all I want. That's all that I need. Why really do we have to talk about all this other stuff? All these other teachings that people get bent out of shape about, you save that for the big theological bigwigs. I just want to talk about Jesus on the cross and Jesus risen from the grave, because that's all that's important to me. That would be a, a simplistic way of looking at it, wouldn't it? It's not like we are picking and choosing. It's not like the gospel is prime rib, ignore everything else just to get to Jesus on the cross. It's more like the message of Christ crucified and risen is the river delta from which all other rivers flow. The message of Christ crucified and risen from the grave is the tree trunk from which all other branches grow. And so we talk about church fellowship and infant baptism and real presence and the doctrine of the Antichrist and obedience and discipleship and giving offerings. We talk about all that stuff, but they all find their center on the cross and with the empty tomb. You take away Christ 
is risen and we don't have anything else to talk about because every doctrine in the Bible, Paul says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, everything goes back to Jesus on the cross and Jesus walking out of that tomb. Everything centers on God's grace. And that's where Paul finishes, isn't it? I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I, am, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. One more argument for the resurrection of Christ. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then you've got to find a different way to explain this. One of the most violent persecutors of the Christian church who went personally door to door dragging Christians to court, hating them with every fiber of his being, within seconds, within minutes, completely turns around and becomes one of Christianity's foremost teachers and preachers. And it's not like Paul met a Christian who had a really good argument that convinced him to believe in Jesus. It's not like Paul was reading his Bible and said, oh, wait a second, I should stop persecuting the church because this is clearly the Messiah. No, Paul himself says, Christ, the risen Lord, appeared to me and called me to be an apostle. How do you explain that change in Paul's life apart from the grace of God shown in Christ on the cross with the empty tomb? Now look at yourself. I look at myself. How do you explain your story apart from the grace of God? How do you explain someone so insignificant in the eyes of the world, so guilty of so much sin, yet capable of finding solace and grace at the foot of a cross, yet capable of learning to forgive, capable of learning to serve their Lord? How do you explain your story apart from the grace of God? How does your life make any sense if Christ has not risen? But indeed he has. And so we will not tire of going back to the cross. We will not tire of going back to the empty tomb. We will not tire of saying, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And already we're looking forward to next Easter where we get to talk about this all over again. But we'll be so excited about Christ's resurrection that we won't wait till next year to talk about it. No, every Sunday, because Christ rose on a Sunday, is a little celebration of Easter. And every Sunday, every sermon, every lesson, every Bible study, every prayer finds its center, its foundation, its cornerstone on the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We look forward to another year of repeating these same truths, growing in these same truths together. Amen.